Hi, it's a little bit late, but uh, better late than never. I'm going to try to get in a, a few words about Parshish Nosom. Not too long. I was just walking with my walking partner, Jonathan Marbury, he raised a question about the princes in the end. Uh, let me put it this way. At least in my mind, that's all you ever get here. Parshish Nosom is very interesting because it represents a certain ideal which is actually one of the two ideals that are out there. They're always in contention with each other. And the problem now is, in contemporary society, the wrong side is winning, perhaps. I refer to consensus versus unilateralism. If you take a look at Parshino, so what do we all know? Everybody's got the same karma. We all know that part. They said, all the Nazis, all the Nassim, the Torah goes to the trouble of repeating word for word all the 12, 13, whatever uh, uh, princes who brought the, the 12, who brought the exact same carbon. Um, and why do you have to do this to show that each person is just as important as the other? What is, I mean, you're wasting a lot of time. Why spend all those words in the Chumash on there? Obviously, God doesn't agree with what I just said. He said, no, I want everybody's name and identical carbon to be in there. This, my friends, is what is referred to as a consensus society. Uh, consensus is a remarkable uh, phenomenon. To get everybody to agree to anything is extremely difficult and usually requires an extreme amount of energy and deference so that everybody feels that they were respected and taken care of, even if we go to ridiculous lengths, which is frankly what you get in today's Parsha. Uh, Jews, for better or worse, the good Lord decided we're going to be tribal. Twelve tribes. And uh, that means that uh, if you want all the Jews to, uh, to go in the same uh, direction, you're going to have to create either a dictatorship or a consensus type of framework so that somehow or other, somehow or other, you get all 12 tribes, whatever, 13 tribes to agree to do anything. That is very hard. That is how traditional societies operate. I just remember, for example, off the top of my head, the European diplomats used to negotiate with the Ottoman Turkish Empire way back when, you know, three, four hundred years ago. And they always said, you want to talk to the Turkish government, you give them this proposal and then give it a year. Because they have to talk to this group and this group and this group and that group to make sure everybody's okay with it. And only then at the end are they willing to do it. Well, guess what? It's the same thing in America. Uh, we look like we have a country in which you have you know, elections and then there are winners and losers and the losers are tough luck. Uh, not really. Once you elect a president and a Congress and they want to get anything done, they immediately have to figure out how do you create a consensus to get anything passed and to make it stick. Uh, all of a sudden you enc- encounter, uh, what shall I say, not pressure groups, but pressure groups, lobbies, and interests, as they used to call them. Economic interests, financial interests, religious interests. And you have to consult if you want to get this thing passed. If you want to get the country to do anything in a real way, you have to go around to each Shavit. In America, we call them different Shvatim. Uh, you know, the African Americans, that's one Shavit. The uh, big business is a Shavit. Big labor is a Shavit. Uh, you know, the industrial, uh, the energy business is a Shavit. You've got to get all these people uh, to agree. And it's very difficult. That's why, right now, many people refer to the American system as broken because of the inability to create a genuine consensus. Uh, when you look at Pashtun Hosso, I would argue that that is the uh, archetype, the epitome of the policy of saying you have to 
go out of your way and spend a lot of extra ink and time to show that all the princes, all the groups are, uh, what should I say, respected, deferred to, given the exact same amount of COVID. And uh, in return for that, will you agree that everybody should bring a carpet, you know, that everybody should go in a certain direction? Uh, and uh, that's how Moshe Rabbeinu ran the operation most of the time, always using a constant attempts to achieve consensus, even though Moshe could have said, whoever doesn't agree with me, the ground should swallow them up, like he did the Korach, which was a rare case when you had a, a, a total breakdown in consensus. The two parshas, Nosso and Korach, could be juxtaposed. One is the parsha of consensus, in which everybody's given the covet in the hope that everybody will agree to everybody else. Then you have the Korach, who says, I don't care about the consensus. I want to knock the whole thing over, just so I should take over. Even though Korach was in the middle of the Jews, in the middle of the desert, with no water and no food, and, and they're far away from Egypt, in the middle of the sun, and, and, and what if it doesn't work? I don't care. You know, if I, I want to be the Nasi. I want to be the head. Uh, these are two dynamics that are always existential, the part of any political uh, situation. I'm talking about politics in the Aristotle sense of a polis, of, a, of an organized group in society trying to create a, a community, shall we say. And uh, consensus is extremely difficult to obtain. And you're not going to get a consensus unless you're willing to compromise and willing to, uh, you know, show extreme, uh, you know, which I say respect uh, for the other side. I mentioned this in a, in a class I gave the other day. If you want a very recent example of this, uh, read the book, a fat book that came out about a year ago, whatever, by Jimmy Carter's um, Jewish guy who was uh, running the domestic council, Stuart Eisenstadt. Fat book, I bet you a thousand pages. I don't know, it was long. And I read the whole darn thing because I had to give some lectures on the subject last year in Shomer Moon on Saturday nights. And uh, you see the Carter administration came there and he's describing from the inside. You want to get an energy policy? You have to get this group to agree and that group to agree. And in the South, they have a different needs than in the far west and the northeast they have different energy needs than elsewhere and it's very hard and very difficult and then the government itself had different agencies and you got to get them all on board to get things done you have to have a whole bunch of people around the table and you have to talk it through and talk 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 gak 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 until everybody comes out to some kind of finally agreed upon policy because that's the only way it gets done very often the perfect is the enemy of the good as they say you end up with a product which is not exactly what anybody wanted, but everybody agrees it's an advance on what they got. Uh, we in America today, as I said, we have a broken system. And uh, what's really uh, noticeable to me is in the last, I don't know, 30, 40 years at least, uh, you have, in fact, I would push it back to LBJ. In the 60s, you have unilateralism. It's very much identified with the liberals, which is, I want to get this bill passed and this law passed, and let the other side, uh, you know, stuff it. And uh, sooner or later, they'll come around, they'll have no choice but to agree that we were right and we'll, create a, we'll, we'll unilaterally create a new reality. Sometimes that works very often. It leaves a very bitter taste behind and it embitters the politics. It's much more wise to see that don't pass anything until you can get all the main players to agree, even though it's a royal pain in the neck, it holds things back for many years. And, uh, you know, it might not be what you want. But the very fact that you got everybody to agree to it uh, is unbelievably important value. Um, and this is how traditional societies run. The Torah is set up on a traditional society basis. You know, the Torah doesn't say what the political system of the Jewish people is supposed to be. We don't have, and before I should notice this, the Torah doesn't give directions for a monarchy exactly. 
and you know, like the U.S. Constitution. The Torah does not give uh, instructions for a Moetz's Gedolia Torah or Sanhedrin even exactly. There's a Puzzig here and a Puzzig there, but you know, nothing really um, clear. The Torah doesn't talk about legislation process uh, and a whole bunch of other things along those lines, which is just very interesting. Uh, I don't know why, but the political structure is obviously not considered of great importance in the Chumash. That's just an interesting thing I just said. But be that as it may, there has to be one. Clearly, well, I shouldn't say clearly, it, it appears to me that the message you get from the Torah's absence on these kinds of uh, political structure questions is it doesn't matter. As long as you can create some kind of a system, whether a democracy, whether a, you know tribalistic, whether it's a, I don't know, oligarchy, uh, you know, um, whatever you want to refer to it, as long as you can get a consensus in the society, that's good enough. Because what works in one century and one cultural context is not exactly the same thing that'll work in another. Uh, There will always be tribes, as I said before, either physical tribes like you had way back when, or different shvatim, because people line up within different groups within society along a spectrum. I'll just give an example I'm talking about. Today in the from world, just the from world, forget the non-from world. The, the from Jews are divided into Shvatim and tribes. You got your Hasidim, you got Misnagdim, you got your, uh, I don't know, you got your modern Orthodox, you got your, uh, you know, uh, uh, the opposite of modern Orthodox. You have, uh, you know, all kind of groups out there. If you want to really get down to Jewish baseball and you know we could do it, you got Baltimore, you got Lakewood, you got Muncie, you got Teaneck. You understand? You got Riverdale, you got all kinds of things. That each one is like a shave it. And it really is. And uh, one of the features of Jewish history down the centuries until 200 years ago was that we ran a consensus culture. That's how the autonomous Jewish communities of old run one way or the other. Uh, there, was, there existed a basic consensus as I always say in my speeches, in fundamentalism and nominism and cultural insularity, things like that among different societies. There's a question of struggle between different power groups who should occupy the position of power at any one time. But the basic uh, principles of what Judaism were in, in, in a proper Jewish organization were fairly uh, universal. And therefore, nobody made a move, for example, to change the Jewish religion. But as everybody knows, all that broke down about 200 years ago and was replaced by unilateralism. Who gave the Reformed Jews the right just to break off and make their own religion and say, now you can be Judaism, I don't know, without uh, Shabbos or Brismila or without uh, belief in the Torah? Nobody gave permission. They said, we're doing it. Right? We feel the consensus you glorify is stifling. We don't like it. We're going to do like Kairach and let the chips fall where they may. And if Humpty Dumpty falls, who cares? And, you know, even they can put the pieces back together again. And we're doing it. And that's how conservative Judaism arose. And that's how all these different groups arise. Uh, usually with the idea that we're going to make a unilateral choice, and we are confident that over the course of time, everybody will have to come around to our way of thinking. Well, of course, none of that happened. We're now looking back in year 2019 from a 200-year perspective. None of that happened. Instead, you have a fractionated Jewish society, which wasn't the case. Once upon a time, you would not have among Jews the extreme differences of opinion, even on, let's say, for example, the state of Israel with the BDS and all the rest of it. You would not have had that in the old days. Um, but nowadays, since the individualistic is, is privileged over the communal, since uh, the ma- maintenance of a consensus is almost like a dirty word, uh, but instead, 
those who are bold and unilateral are regarded as, uh, you know, what shall I say, ideal figures. Uh, so in that kind of a culture, then you pay the price with a complete breaking of the uh, polity. And the Jewish people has a broken wheel today. I mean, uh, we all know this. And uh, from a firm perspective, because it's broken, so the non-firm are disintegrated. You know, look at the uh, the marriage numbers and, uh, you know, the fall-away numbers that are plaguing American Jewish community. If people don't want to acknowledge it, then, you know, they'll put their head in the sand. But uh, these are gigantic uh, factors. Um, At least all the Nassim want to bring a carbon in the same way. It may be a question of who gets day one, who gets day two, like Rashi talks about. You know, who's the order? Nevertheless, they all have in common that they, uh, you know, have the same belief. The Jewish people today are not like that. The Jewish people today is like a Pashas Korach. You know, uh, I think everybody knows, I assume you're probably familiar, maybe I mentioned over here, the famous Vart in the Pirkei of us, which says, what's the Machlokos Shem Shemayim, and what's the Machlokos Shelo Shem Shemayim? And the Machlokos Shem Shemayim is Hill and Shammai, and the Machlokos Shelo Shem Shemayim is Karach Vadoso. And the Mafarsh immediately say, that's not the way to frame it. It should be Korach versus, uh, I don't know, uh, Moshe. Not Korach Vadoso. And the famous answer is, I'm sure I mentioned this already, the famous answer is, the Korach assembled a, uh, a coalition <laughs> of the deplorables, meaning each person there wanted to be the Nazi or something like that on his own. All they had in common was their opposition to Moshe. And so they all joined, each one thinking that he'll become the big shot, uh, the Nazi, the Kohen God, or whatever the position was over there. And uh, first let's get rid of Moshe, and then we'll fight among ourselves who should take over. Meaning it's a the Vados is the epitome of uh, unilateralism and individualism. The heck with the uh, consensus, and uh, I will establish the brand new one. Uh, this is why people don't like Obama. Uh, because he just, I guess I'm pushing through the Obamacare, and even if I get it by one vote, and I know half the country doesn't like it, but it doesn't matter to me. Uh, now that he could say, I tried, you know, and the Republicans wanted to compromise, there's what to talk about. But nevertheless, the fact is, he said, I'm not waiting for the compromise. Um, I'm, I'm, uh, uh, I'm just going to go ahead and do it. And we will create a new reality that the others will just have to accept. And the result has been a lot of blowback, and, uh, you know, the Trump got elected and all that sort of thing. Our politics today are kind of korechi, aren't they? They're kind of toxic in America, which is sad. And, frankly, same thing in, in the state of Israel. Is that not true? You know, the left and the right are so broken, one from the other, that uh, rather than combine and uh, agree to some kind of consensus program, and the fact is there are a lot of things they agree on, they rather go in a different way. Each one wants to impose his view. Bibi wants to impose his view on Israel and the Supreme Court, all the rest of it. The left certainly wants to impose their view on the others. And uh, there you have the conundrum of, you know, how do you make it work uh, when you have the pulling apart effects of unilateralism. Uh, I can't em- emphasize this too strongly. I'm not sure getting my message across because probably you, most of you are not traditional historians and that sort of thing to look at the way societies has always been run, but uh, that's a very powerful motif in, in, in modern Jewish history. The, just, uh, the fact is that, you know, the only thing we agree on is that we have no agreement, uh, which is a very bad situation. Take, for example, where I live, Baltimore, or where you live. There's no Jewish community today. The Orthodox live their own lives. The non-Orthodox live completely separate lives. It's like, it's like a divorced couple. And, uh, you know, uh, they, they make nice. 
they say the right things, they say, oh, we are one and all that kind of business, but they live completely separate lives. And uh, from the traditional Jewish point of view, that's a very bad thing. The old Sfarim I've spoken about before talk about the extreme importance of Achdus and Klai Yisrael and the Ketoros and all that business, but that's over, at least in my lifetime. Uh, you know, it's, uh, the idea of all Jews being in one uh, group uh, hasn't worked, meaning they couldn't find a way to make it, uh, to get it together. Uh, in Israel, they do to some degree, but less and less. And so the result is that we're left with a very interesting parsha, Parshish Noso, in which you see Moshe Rabbeinu and God are bending over backwards, so to speak, to give each tribe its uh, equal due and to show one, no one is more important than the other. And each one gave a carbon that was uh, you know, held in great uh, value. And uh, even though you know, he could have said, listen, they all did it all at once, we want to show everybody, even the biggest tribe and the smallest tribe, that we uh, give you the same amount of time. And it's like running a meeting in which I'll give everybody a chance to talk and even if I drain me a cup and somebody repeats what somebody else said, I'm willing to do it in order that by the time the conversation is over, everybody agrees to a common course of action. Uh, this is a ideal. As I said before, Moshe Rabbeinu ran the show that way. God forced Moshe to take the job at the burning bush, right? Moshe did not want the job. And one of the reasons, clearly in retrospect, at least to my mind, is Moshe is not a dictator. Moshe said, I'm going to work real hard to get everybody to agree to one course of action or another, a consensus. And uh, even though the Jews will fardray me a cup, and we all know sooner or later, later in Bamid, Moshe says, I can't take it anymore. But the only reason he can't take it is because it's hard to, ma- to do what is necessary to maintain a consensus. You have to listen to the complaints every day about the food. You have to listen to the people talking about the good old days in Egypt. You have to listen to the people accuse Moshe Rabbeinu, you know, as a Chazal say, of being a cheater and a thief and, all, and a flander and all kinds of things like that. And uh, if you're willing to put up with all that junk, you will get a consensus. And to use biblical language, you will get all the Jews to march in one direction towards the land of promise. But not everybody has that kind of patience. And Moshe eventually broke down on this also. Remember he said to Hashem, kill me, I can't take it anymore. But that's actually a tribute to his greatness because it means, look what he was able to, was willing to put up with for, for such a long time before the strain grew to be so great. A Korach would never put up with that kind of junk, right? You, you criticize Korach, you get punished or killed or suppressed or something like that. That's the easy way to go. Uh, the question in the firm world is, how do we, even within the context of the firm world, maintain a, uh, this kind of consensus? This is why people don't like the open Orthodox and the others. They're saying, we don't care what the consensus We're just going to do unilaterally whatever we want. We'll make this person a rabbi and that person and this and that, and women a gay, this and all the rest. We don't care. We're just going to do it. And uh, experience shows all this does is create a tremendous blowback. And uh, the result is an increased fractionation. And then the new group has to kind of like make it on its own. And experience shows us that when you break away from the original, uh, from the main line, and you try to make it on your own, you have a run for a while and then you disappeared. Reform and conservative in the process of disappearing. They had 100 years, they had 200 years, less, and now it's disappearing. So any group that breaks away from the uh, pain in the neck consensus adhering policies uh, ends up, uh, you know, uh, which, well, you know, sooner or later uh, disappearing from the scene, uh, which is kind of very interesting because uh, these are fundamental social dynamics that uh, characterize the times you and I live in today. But uh, I see somebody just came in here, so I wish you with that.
a good Shabbos and a little bit of food for thought. Okay.